I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. We're continuing our series through this book, and as we have done at other points, we've gone through several series since we've begun as a church. I think it's good and fitting. I just We're coming into this week, and then I think next week, our last messages from this book of Exodus, which if you recall, we started way back when it was only slightly colder than it is outside today, back in January. We began the the year, but I do think it's encouraging, not in any kind of prideful way or overly self-congratulatory way, but just to be encouraged that as we've walked week in and week out in our worship time, we've come through and we know something more about this book of Exodus, and not that that's an end in itself, but that through that, we're coming to know more about the Lord and how He Work. So I hope you're encouraged as we walk through. We really believe, not that we're averse to doing a topical series from time to time, but we really believe that God works through just moving through His Word piece by piece and seeing what the next thing He has for us uh, from it. So we have been doing that. And as you recall, just to set things in context, last context last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 32. And we saw this propensity that God's people have to turn on a dime from the Lord and from seeking Him and recognizing His goodness to making idols, to making substitute gods for Him in their lives. That they not only do that, we saw last week, but that they actually bow down and worship that idol. They make places for it in their life. They take their, you remember they had this gold jewelry that was meant to be used for the temple, and they took it instead, and so they used, they gave to this idol as well. They built their lives around it. They established places of worship for it. We saw their propensity to do that, and hopefully in seeing that, we recognize we're guilty as charged as well. That our propensity is to do exactly the same thing. Perhaps in the civilized West, uh, a lot of us are less likely to make and fashion an actual little creature to put in a shrine somewhere. But our idols of materialism, of our success, of our children's success, of our personal image, how we appear to people around us, Uh, Even on the national level of our military or economic might, our idols, even of our own physical health and well-being. All of these things can be things that we put in our life in the place of the living God and bow down and worship to. So how beautiful is it then, what we saw last week, that Moses comes and mediates on behalf of God's people. Steps in to be a kind of intermediary between a holy God and a very unrighteous people in Exodus 32, and a very unrighteous people in us. And of course, Moses is no ultimate fulfillment of that. He simply pointed forward, we saw last week, to Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator of our relationship with God. So we saw that atonement, that forgiveness that was needed, mediated last week through Moses, pointing forward to Christ. Follow with me this morning as we get into Exodus 33. We're going to be looking at Moses again, mediating something, but here mediating God's precious presence with his people. The reality that God is with us in our lives and his powerful presence can transform us. And so the question for us today will be, as we look at these verses, are we enjoying, are we walking in 
the privilege of the presence of God in our lives? That's the question before us today. Look with me at Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12, and I'll invite you to stand with me. We'll read a few verses at the end of, uh, through the end of Exodus 33 here, and then just a, actually just a couple of verses from chapter 34. But we just stand in recognition of God's holy word. I'll read aloud as you read along silently with me, starting in Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then jump down with me to chapter 34, verse 6. This is a different episode of the Lord passing by, but a similar, uh, similar passage. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for your inheritance. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Oh, Father, we pray now specifically for this time that we have in your word to hear from you. And we ask, even as we're learning about your presence and the benefits of it, oh, Lord, would you please be present with us to teach us wonderful things for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, a dad who worked as a psychologist was invited by his son's teacher to their class on a particular day to observe another child who was having some difficulties and have this psychologist evaluate the child. As the father was sitting there for a number of hours throughout the day evaluating this other child, he couldn't help but hear the conversation nearby that his son was having with several others of his classmates. They were bragging a bit. This first girl said, my dad is a big-time lawyer, and he goes all over the state to different courtrooms and helps to help out big-time business people in their law cases. That's what my dad does. The next child piped up, another child sitting next to this man's son, and said, my dad works for the government. And he travels to D.C. all the time, and he helps work with things with the president. Well, a psychologist was interested to see how his son would respond to all this, and he looked the poor little boy a little bit embarrassed for a moment, and then he looked across the room, and his eyes met his father's eyes sitting there in his classroom with him, and he smiled real big, and his father smiled back to him, and he turned back to these bragging classmates of his and said simply, my dad is here. Look at these verses today. They remind us of what a tremendous privilege it is that God is here. That God is here with us in our lives. That he's dwelling within us if we put our trust in Christ. That he's dwelling with us as a church, as a corporate body together. That our dad is here. He's in our lives, present with us. As we look at these verses today, and if you want to follow along in your bulletin, you can turn to the back section This main idea comes to the surface, the the beauty, the majesty, the privilege of having God present with us in our lives. And the main idea we might put this way, God is glorious and merciful. God is glorious and merciful so we can enjoy the privilege of his presence in our lives. God's glorious and merciful so we can enjoy the privilege of his presence Now, if we start to think for just a minute about God's presence, even as I talk about that, probably a lot of us, if you're like me, it doesn't really resonate that deeply. What does that mean? And the reason it doesn't render us that deeply is because it's not really that important to us. In a world where we can prop ourselves easily up with a lot of our creature comforts, with entertainment, with material benefits that we have, it's very difficult to remember how dear and precious it is to have the presence of God. There's so many other things we can prop ourselves up with. It's hard to remember how wonderful that is. Even if we remember it, we probably struggle to really sense the value of it. Even if we're not propping our lives up with many things, we have lots of things going on in our lives. And those things, as the Scriptures tell, come in and kind of choke out the beauty of the things 
of the Lord. So we might recognize that we've got a need for God's presence, but all this stuff in our life kind of comes in and edges it out, pushes it out of the way. We don't really seek it. We don't really sense it. So that's a problem. So we struggle to really value God's presence. But believe it or not, that's not our main problem as these verses identify with God's presence. Our main problem is that even if we seek and want God's presence, we can't just have it without God's mercy. Look with me in these verses at 33, verse 17, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. We just read it. Moses has the opportunity to see God, and he even asks in verse 18, I guess we'll begin, he says to God, please show me your glory. He's maybe a step ahead of a lot of us. He wants to see God. He wants to know God's presence. But guess what? Unless God desires to be merciful and let us experience it, we can't. And even in experiencing it, he's going to have to show mercy to shield us from the greatness of his glory. We see this verse describing in verse 22 and 23 that God says, I'm going to put Moses into this cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. Of course, we have our hymn that we sing famously, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Let me hide myself in thee. Then it goes on and says, from, it switches from this Old Testament picture of God pointing forward to Jesus and says, through the water and the blood, from thy riven side which thrown, from your torn side, speaking of Jesus and the water and blood that came in his death. Be for sin, that hymn says, the double cure. What's the double cure? Cleansing from guilt and giving us power to live a different life. So Jesus' presence has got to come to us, and God has to be merciful to show it. I read already chapter 34, verse 6, but if you look there with me again, what kind of relationship does God have to have with us so that we can enjoy his presence? It's not an automatic thing. The Lord, the Lord has to be a God who is merciful, it says, and gracious. It says it about eight different ways, every way possible, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. God's got to be merciful in order for us to enjoy his presence. Okay? So that's the kind of God that we have, thankfully. How do we then, if this is the God we can approach, if he gives us mercy to approach him, then how do we move towards that? Four things we want to talk about today, and they're in your bulletin as well if you want to follow along. Number one, that God's presence gives us peace. We'll talk about then the fact that, number two, God lets us progress, move forward towards him. Third thing we're going to talk about is the fact that God's presence shows his pleasure. And the last thing we're going to talk about is that God's presence actually makes us peculiar. Actually makes us peculiar. Let's talk about these things. Look with me at uh, chapter 33, verse 12. And 13, kind of kind of verbose, a lot of stuff going along here. And if you hadn't read through it once or twice slowly, you'll sort of miss what's being said. But Moses says to the Lord, he says, hey, you're telling me to bring up this people, verse 12, 
But you haven't let me know who's going to kind of go with me and help this. And you remember, Moses doesn't like to do things by himself. We figured that out. He wanted his brother with him early on. Now he's saying, Lord, I need somebody else with me. And then he says, now you've told me, God, that I've found favor in your sight. But verse 13, if I found favor in your sight, well, how about showing me your ways? So Moses is just kind of saying, Lord, you've told me you're going to do these things. How about doing them? How about showing me what you're saying there? Which leads us into verse 14, where God makes this beautiful promise to Moses and to us. I hope we hear it as loudly today for us. And he said, verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And you read these verses, and I guess when I was little, you, you know, all over the Bible, it's always talking about finding rest in God. Let God give me your, your rest. And you start to wonder, are these, did these people have insomnia in the Old Testament? Just a lot of, they were just working all the time, need a lot of naps. What's the deal with the need for rest everywhere? Of course, we know that something else is being said. It reminds me, though, of the story of the two uh, the brother and sister, a little Susie, an older sister, and her younger brother sitting in church one day. And Johnny was very rambunctious, and Susie was uh, pretty well behaved in church and doing that typical older sister thing, trying to rein Johnny in. And Johnny kept jumping around. She told him to settle down. He kept goofing around and making all kinds of noise. And she finally said, shh, Johnny, you need to be quiet. Johnny said back to her, why do I need to be quiet in church? Susie said, Because people are sleeping. (laughs) But we're not talking about that kind of rest. What we're talking about here is the rest that comes from peace in God. Augustine put it famously when he said that God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Do you believe that today? That's what we're talking about, the presence of God giving us peace. Giving us peace. And if you're like me, I like to find peace to the extent that I'm looking for it during the day by coming home and I just get... verses remind us the only place we can ultimately hope to find peace is in Christ and in who he is, his presence in our lives. That's where we find it. Now, we've been actually helped a little bit. None of us would wish any of the tornadoes and devastations that we've seen, of course. We wouldn't want to have that have to happen to remind us of spiritual needs. But when the tornadoes come and some of us got friends and family that we've had to attend and our lives we thought were kind of in order and arranged around our baseball practices and our work schedule and this social gathering we need to get together and all of a sudden something big is in the middle of our lives and we've got to help family or friends and, and then there's opportunity and we're stepping forward to help out 
with things in the church and volunteering and taking time to do that. And then we're just being rattled by the fact that the death and destruction that we've seen all around us in our state. And all of a sudden, that little balance that we've established in our life, that we're going to make it through the day by balancing things out and getting our work out in and and getting our little time to watch TV or visit with our family at night, that that's going to be our peace, all of a sudden is blown out of the water. And the question is raised before us, where are we really going to get peace? Where's a real anchor for us to be? Where's a real rock for us to be hidden in? So God's presence gives us peace. That's number one. Number two, God's presence lets us progress. Okay? Follow with me. You'll understand what I'm talking about here. Uh, Verse 15, again of Exodus 33 God says to Moses, uh, no, Moses says to God, I'm sorry, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What's Moses saying? He's saying, I'm not, I can't go forward in the things that you've called me to, God, in my life without your presence. I have got to have it. And so we see here another way that we devalue and miss the value of God's presence. Part of the reason that when I say God's presence, it doesn't resonate with me and perhaps doesn't resonate with you is because we're not trying to do anything monumental or significant for God. Me as a pastor, if I'm not trying to lead our congregation to the Lord, seeking God in prayer and seeking to bring us along, if I'm not sincerely trying to do that, I don't need God's presence. We just kind of muddle along. Moms and dads here, if we're not sincerely hoping that the things we just prayed for and talked about with this little one this morning are going to happen, if we're not really running hard after those things for our family and for our children, we don't need God's presence. We can make it through a day as a family. But when you really try to seek those things, then you need God's presence. People in the workplace during the week, when we're, you're out there in the workplace and trying to actually do this thing called being a Christian business person and have your faith affect the way that you do your business and who you are in your business. If we're really trying to do that, then we need God's presence. We don't need it if we're just plugging along. If we're trying, all of us, to fulfill what Jesus tells us to do and reach out to our neighbors and find a way to connect with people who don't know Christ or disconnect from church, and we're trying to step out of our comfort zone into their world, then we need God's presence. But if we're not trying to do those things, if we're not trying to progress or move, then we don't need God's presence. Moses says, Lord, I'm not going anywhere unless you are with me. He understands how desperately he needs that. That's the second thing for us. God's presence lets us progress. A third thing is that God's presence shows us God's pleasure. Okay, so maybe the first two are a little bit more challenging for us, a little confrontive. These maybe be a little bit more uplifting for us. You look with me uh, back in verse uh, 13, I believe it is. Actually, 12 first, the last sentence. Moses, again, is talking to God, and he's, he's real caught up in this thing about God's favor. It's sort of, again, it's a little strange for us. Why, why is that a big deal? He asked God about his favor there. Then in verse 16 of that same 
verse, he says, or same chapter, he says, For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight? He's really concerned again with favor. And then the very last verse we read, chapter 34, verse 9, the very last part of that verse, actually, he says, God, please take us for your inheritance. Moses is very interested, just as we should be, in the promises that God gives that he will be with us, and not just in some general generic way, but that he'll be with us in a way that he affirms that we are his children, that we are dearly loved today. And believers here, if you put your trust in Christ, we should know today and be assured that whatever sins we have in our past, and whether people know about them or nobody knows word go about it, Whatever things we're wrestling with today, whatever false directions our worship is headed even today, and whatever things would even come this week or in our future where we might turn away from the Lord, we can know because of his presence with us, because of his choice to show mercy, that we have his favor. We have his pleasure on our lives. What a beautiful thing. As we think about God's pleasure and come to a conclusion here, thinking about the fulfillment of that, I want to bring to our mind one thing that kind of helps tie this together. We said Moses points forward to Christ. Last week we saw that Moses points forward to Christ because Christ is going to be this perfect mediator. Well, Moses points forward to Christ in bringing God's presence too. Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist, what is said. You remember that dove kind of descends from heaven and the skies open, and there is something that God says at that time. He says to Jesus, He says, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Why is God pleased with us? Not anything good about me or about you. It's because God has chosen to be pleased with his son and what his son has done. Last point, God's presence makes us peculiar. <laughs> Look with me at 34, or 33, I'm sorry, verse 16 again. Moses wants to know how they're going to know that God is with the people and he says in the second sentence there, he says, Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What's Moses saying here? He's saying that when we are in the Lord, if we are in the Lord and have his presence, it not only gives us the peace that we can have in him, it not only allows us to move forward doing, seeking to do bold things in our life for the Lord, it not only uh, brings us, as we just said, the reality of his pleasure with us, but it also makes us strange. If we're in Christ, if we have God's presence, there is going to be, there's supposed to be something different about us. And what that means is that our life of keeping up with the Joneses, of trying to blend in, of trying to keep up, whether it's at school and you're a student and you're trying to keep up with the students around you or in your workplace or your mom and you're trying to keep up with the moms, that if there is not some rub 
between who we are as believers, what we believe, what we're pursuing in our lives, and the world around us, if those things go right together instead of there at some point being a collision, then we're not really walking in God's presence. God's presence makes believers different. I had in my undergraduate years, I went to a campus that was very pagan and also happened to be about 35, 40% Jewish enrollment on the campus. So I uh, interacted with a lot of folks from a Jewish background, many of whom, by their own profession, had no interest in the things of God, were simply that way by, by their uh, upbringing, but a number of whom did. And I had one professor in particular that I remember sitting in his class, and he was uh, very serious. I guess he would have been an Orthodox Jew. And, of course, as a believer, I did not agree with his understanding of salvation and how one would be saved, but I found it very interesting what he said one class. He was talking on a little rabbit trail, as professors do, but he was talking about sharing with his son, his little son who was now old enough to understand that they wore this little thing on top of their head, and they went to service on Friday night instead of when other people might go to service, and that they walked to service instead of getting in the car. And this young boy was asking my professor, why do we do these things? And the professor's answer was so simple but so profound that I've thought about it over the years. He told his son simply, the reason we do these things is because we are Jewish. That's why we do it. That's who we are. That was his answer to that question is that, There's something different about us. It's the way we understand ourselves. As believers, as believers in Christ, there have to be things about God's presence in our life that make us different. That's right. That's the way it should be. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And yet how often do we feel uncomfortable because we're aliens in this world? We're aliens in this world called to reach out, reach out with a heart of love and grace and mercy and help others to come to this salvation. But believe me, we're aliens, and there's got to be a rub. If there's not, then God's presence is probably not impacting our lives the way we would want it to. Last verse to read as I close, and I'll just leave you with these verses because I think they'll help tie some things together too. John, if you want to turn there, chapter 14. John chapter 14, how do we, again, experience God's presence? How is it coming to us? Well, Jesus tells us he's not only come into the world, we not only have the pleasure of God because of God's pleasure with him, but we have the privilege of Holy Spirit coming into our lives. If I can get there, John chapter 14 says this, beginning in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and I'll give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while. And the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. And then verse 25 to 27. And these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then listen to this. 
Remember what we just have been talking about. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, indeed, we are filled with gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise to you today for this great and rich privilege of knowing your presence in our lives. And, Father, I pray that you would rattle us out of any complacency we have in hearing this reality of God's presence. And instead, Lord, we might relish the fact that you have chosen We're not worthy of it. We're not deserving of it. But that you have chosen to show mercy on us by bringing yourself into our lives and that we would walk in the peace that comes from that. That we would move forward in life boldly in our faith instead of casually because we know that you can strengthen us even for things that daunt us. Oh, Father, that we would know your pleasure every step of the way and that we would not be afraid to be peculiar because of your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.